leadership is communication and communication has a useful role to play in all manner of things in life, but very much in running a business or a hospitality business. But communication on its own, there aren't any quick fixes and hot tips for communication that will fix fundamentally unsound businesses strategically or culturally. And so really over the last year, what we've learned is the role that communication plays in articulating and executing a cultural vision or a business strategy and understanding the interplay between the two. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. And thanks to Biz Simply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And Biz Simply is the all-in-one HR workforce management roles and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, how we grow, and how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. In this week's conversation, I'll be sitting down with a very good friend of mine, Rob Lydia, who is the CEO of the App Store, the social leadership and communication platform for teams who don't use corporate email. And they're working with strong brand churches, and Summers, Wakamamas, and many, many more, helping them to strengthen their communication with the front line. And we'll be talking about social leadership, which is the practice of using digital tools to influence people at work. We talk about the importance of how communication underpins culture and how digital tools can actually help deliver more clarity on the purpose and the promise every day for you as a leader. We discuss how technology and digital tools give insights about your organization you were not able to pick up before. We talk about life is too short to work for a leader you don't like and respect. And we connect leadership capabilities to the current recruitment crisis in hospitality. We talk about that this time in history is a tipping point for leaders to develop and adapt their style to a more human approach if they want to win tomorrow's battles. Along the way, we also talk about using digital tools to update and align an organization, hire for culture, your business flywheel, Southwest Airlines learnings on leadership, how you can move more people with your leadership style, analytics on leadership, the role of the leader right now, and the winners of tomorrow, and much more. Before you tune in, please sign up for a weekly newsletter on hospitalitymavericks.com, packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Now, grab coffee, notebook, and let's get started. I'm super excited and almost like pumped up because we're going to be talking one of my favorite subjects today. We're going to be talking about this, you know, some people call it fluffy. It's called leadership. I call it rock solid heart. It's about actually how you actually make real results. And uh, I'm super excited to have a good uh, friend and uh, colleague of mine. And we've known each other for a couple of years, Rob from, from Yapster here in the studio. And uh, we're going to be touching, I already said, leadership and also communication, but also what, what is technology's role to help, you know, create better leadership and communication. And I'm sure we're going to touch on many, many other things. So, so welcome to the show, Rob. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Michael. I'm excited. So, uh, Rob, I've said you've seen that you are a bit of a leadership guru. That's uh, uh, and I know you're a humble man, so say we, we're interested in leadership, I would say. So it's not like we have the final algorithm, but we talked about doing this for, for a while now. 
and uh, and you've been working on your your social leadership, and I've been working on my things in hospitality mavericks, and we always find these shared touch points. But before we start, for people that doesn't know what Yapster is and your background and the why and the purpose and why you're here and who you're serving, can you just give a bit of like an, an overview, like an elevator pitch of that, so people can uh, follow our conversation as we go through it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so Yaps is a mobile communication system for hospitality operators. We work in some retail as well. It's delivered as a as an uh, as an app that's downloaded on typically the personal devices of frontline colleagues. Um, where the business started is I didn't realize. So I used to be a lawyer once upon a time. I didn't enjoy it that much, and I drifted into legal legal software, which I found only marginally less boring. Um, and during the course of that, I was working with the big retailer, Marks and Spencers, about six years ago and found out that they had 85,000 employees, but only 15,000 company email addresses. And so I was like, how do you speak to the other 70,000 people then? And uh, the head of legal at the time sort of shrugged at me and said, you know, well, poster, carrier pigeon, word of mouth. And he sort of laughed sheepishly. And of course, when we investigated, it became clear that the business was running unofficially on consumer apps because by 2015, pretty much everybody had a smartphone and, and now it really is almost everybody but even then it was pretty high and so what had happened in the absence of companies providing communication hardware and software to their frontline people the frontline colleagues had just built their own networks and that had a whole bunch of missed opportunities and problems associated with it so we created yapster to fill that gap and who are the typical uh, customer? They're larger, small organization. Who who do you work with, and and what kind of benefits are they getting to get on board with uh, with your app? So we only work for hospitality, food retail, or retail. So in hospitality, we work with some really cool sort of emerging brands like like Flatiron, for example. We're excited about in the brewery space. We work with. Um, Brewdog and uh, the Revere Division of Marsdens and Paragon Pubs and Brewhouse and Kitchen and various Yummy Pubs and various others. Um, on the uh, the sort of food retail side, we work with Cafe Nero, uh, Burger King Scandinavia, um, Krispy Kreme, various others. Uh, and then in retail, we work for uh, Next PLC, Vision Express, and Summers. So a fairly broad mix. What they all have in common is they all serve the public. They've all got um, distributed footprints, large teams of people delivering their brand or product experience, typically without individual email addresses or conventional business um, software. As a tech company, your relevance probably became more present than ever as we uh, went into the pandemic. How has it been for, for your guys? What's happened? You know, hospitality gone through a very tough time, and I can imagine communication a lot of people talked about it's important to communicate to your staff i guess you had a role to play there uh, during the last 14 months and uh, help solving some some problems there i guess yeah i mean we learned a lot um too that's right we um i mean all of, because of the customers that we serve a lot of our customers went to zero cash flow overnight at the beginning of covid so it was weird the use of our product went up a lot but we you know we suffered like everybody did we had to do a restructuring to make sure that the business wasn't at risk given a period of sort of uncertainty in our customer segments. And we learned a lot like about ourselves and about our customers. Carluccio's were one of our customers when they went into administration. So, so we learned about crisis communications through the platform in real time as people were practicing it. One of the reasons I was so keen to talk to you is I know uh, how invested you are in 
mission and we talk about leadership a lot and that's taken a real new complexion for me after the last year because leadership is communication and communication has a useful role to play in all manner of things in life but very much in running a business or a hospitality business but communication on its own there aren't any quick fixes and hot tips for communication that will fix fundamentally unsound businesses strategically or culturally and so really over the last year what we've learned is the role that communication plays in um, articulating and executing a cultural vision or a business strategy and understanding the interplay between the two. So it's, it's actually a real honor. It means when customers call us now, we'll get into understanding what their vision and mission and culture is, what is their business plan, what are the key differentiators and drivers of value in their business so that then we can understand how they might use a tool like Yapster to actually win in the market based on their unique cultural or strategic properties. Super interesting that because uh, there's been a lot of talk about as well uh, within leaders and CEOs that we we need to you know go back to our purpose. We need to communicate why we're here, and, and and as you say, that's actually where it becomes quite shaky sometimes because you did some exercise some while ago, and that exercise then was put in a in a drawer or still hanging in the same room. And it never came more out than maybe it's something that is on the, the laptop screens, but it's not really lived uh, in the day-to-day of the, the organization. How, how can you see when you have worked with, uh, with the apps and, and companies, how they have they been able now, some of them actually to understand how they actually can take that vision and missions and start to bring it to life and get it out to all the employees, no matter if you're part-time, you're there once a week, whatever, you can you can all all of you can actually start to get an idea about the the vision the mission because i think the classic question you could send out in many organizations even in the executive team tell me what your 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 five core values are or seven whatever they are and i can't remember them because they don't practice in them so do do you feel that 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 yaps that can be part of solving that problem which i think is going to be key driving business outcomes and actually having a, a competitive edge as we go forward yeah, I mean, um, culture is what you do, not what you say. So communication has a really interesting relationship with culture because you have to live it, not just say it. But actually, where I think um, platforms like ours and communication can play a really interesting role in culture is um, you can find out when people aren't living the values. So I'll give you an example. I've got a um, we've got a, a fantastic, really like world famous quick serve uh, customer. And they're all about creating joy for their customers, for their employees. And they, they, you know, respect for the employee is a, um, is a critical tenet of their, of their model. And one of their regional leaders told me that it was only after Yapster, he discovered that one of the things that was profoundly disengaging his frontline people was they didn't have enough company issued polo shirts for their new joiners. Not something you would expect a senior leader to know or really care about, but it turns out it was spectacularly undermining and it was trivial to fix. But it wasn't something that had got elevated up to this person's level. And it was only when he, he practiced sort of skip level communications to, to be directly connected to his frontline um, folks that he, discovered, that he discovered this. And because, of course, what does it say when the company handbook and the first day of training says you must always present in a company polo shirt? If you don't have any if you don't have any polo shirts for that person, right? If you have hired people with integrity that care about doing a good job, and you've systematically screened for that, and then you tell them exactly in black and white clearly what the brand standards are, so that they know that they're non-compliant on day one, when you yourself haven't given them the means to be compliant, 
it, it's confusing, right? It's undermining. It, it means you don't end up delivering the brand experience that you intended, i.e. the beautifully turned out um, server from a customer perspective. Um, you create anxiety in the workforce and it's utterly trivial to fix if you know. So that's a really good example of where communication can underpin culture, not because you never get anything wrong, but because you can fix it more quickly when the people that are empowered to deliver the service or put their hand up and get something improved are actually able to do that in real time, not through some archaic sort of, you know, chain of command. That's a great example for what I call, uh, I see there's like two massive blocks. You you have your purpose bit and then you have your promise. So your purpose is your intent. That's what you communicate. It's your values, your vision, your mission. Then you have your promise. This is what you do, as you say. We promise you this, and this is your strategies, tactics, action, goals, outcomes in organization. This is what's visible in organization. And actually, I, I totally agree with you, and I, I can see the, the power of communication because it is actually communication and stories that connects those two things. And if they're not connected and not lived out, if you're promising something and you don't do it, even if it's just, it's, it, oh, well, it's in the employee handbook, or we try our best to do that, but sometimes it doesn't, you know, we're not able to do it, then, then you should take it out if it's not that important. Because everything you put in writing and your your promise or your purpose, uh, you're communicating will, will be remembered by people. And it, it's so cr crazy. I can remember similar situation where there was a promise about that we will never have people working more than three weekends. And then again and again, because we were understaffed, we kept on making them work for four weekends a month. And You know, it, it it made people leave in the end. And we we didn't discover before we start talking with the front line. And that was before, you know, there was uh, Facebook groups and any other kind of thing. So, but it took me about four months to get to the, the, the understanding why people were quitting those specific restaurants, because just because they were understaffed and nobody was there, there to take the investment because they had a budget to set blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but it doesn't matter if the budget says blah, 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 if we can't keep our best people on board and again because that hasn't been communicated the thing about running organizations what i love about working in the sectors that we work in is it's full of operators right operators we fix problems we just get stuff done so the industry is full of wonderful people that understand the idea of a setback what they don't what they dislike is apathy or arrogance and so there's almost no problem that you can't fix if you don't if you talk about it You know, like people will forgive that. So like modern, authentic, accessible leadership is often about saying, here's my plan. Here's my promise, exactly as you say. And then it's saying, hey, tell me if reality is not keeping up with my vision, because like, sadly, my vision never directly mirrors reality. That's why this is hard. That's why not everybody can do it. I am going to will a better future than there is today in the present. And we're going to do it together. That's what a vision is. It's okay. It's okay that like not everything's perfect. If everyone buys into the journey and you remain nimble and accessible and responsive to correcting things on the way, not a big deal. Yeah. And then it's so interesting uh, as, as we go into to the next thing I want to ask you about, because you created a, like, well, I think it's really cool. You actually created a bit of an approach behind your technology you have the tech platform but you also talk about what i said at the beginning social leadership so for, for people out there that haven't heard you talking about 
social leadership. What is social leadership? And I know you're inspired by, by some great people. It'd be great to hear where you're inspired from as well. And how did you come upon social leadership? But let's let's just get the definition in place first. What is social leadership and how do you define it? So social leadership, as we define it, is literally just the mix of leadership communications. Okay, so most people that are in positions of leadership know what it is to kiss babies, shake hands and align and inspire a team in a room. Social leadership is just mixing digital technologies with leadership communications. That's it, right? So it's influencing people at work using digital tools. That's what the practice of social leadership is. And and where where did you get, you know, your inspiration from? Because I guess that the social leadership is also there's a, a specific approach. What, where, where's the thinking coming from? What, where, where was the Eureka moment for you on this? So we learned it from the customers. I mean, the, the, the story of Yapster is, as I said, I was a lawyer. I, I found out the, the economy ran unofficially on WhatsApp. That struck me as pr- problematic for loads of reasons. I mean, not least because it's creepy to give away every member of staff's personal number to every other random colleague and then chucking everybody together in a series of WhatsApp groups, you know, and someone can do something as innocent as asking someone they fancy on a date all the way through to discrimination or harassment. And as an employer, you've exposed people to that risk for what? Because you couldn't be bothered to license them an email address or Yapster or whatever else, right? So that's where the business came from. But actually, it's not very sexy. And it turns out that whilst it's important, operators don't care that much about that, like not on its own, because actually, when you look at the corporate risk register, they're looking at viciously competitive markets, all sorts of other existential threats from delivery and other things, Amazon in, in, in the broader retail economy. And GDPR wasn't considered to be a principal driver of activity for them. So what happened is, um, like most entrepreneurs, I, I, I was too dumb to realize what I'd done before it was too late to turn back. And so having created a business that was ostensibly about GDPR compliance around mobile messaging, we had to find a reason to, 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 to continue. Um, to find a higher growth rate. But what happened is the early customers that we started working with actually taught us that the reason they were using Yapster was not for GDPR compliance. It was actually to reach and lead, align and inspire those frontline colleagues to deliver you know, the, the employee promise, their service goals, their business plan. And we realized that all of our customers were on the same platform but they were having wildly divergent outcomes in the early days, both with Yapster, so their active usage rates in Yapster, but also their commercial outcomes. And we're like, I don't understand. What, what, like the propositions look similar. They're all using the same technology. Why is it that some are very successful and some are not? So um, a woman named Claire McCotta joined Yapster as head of business insight. She's a brilliant like data um, wizard, background in maths and done sort of big ticket organizational strategy and, and data analysis. Anyway, so she comes in and we start looking at what are the things that people are doing in Yapster that, that might help explain the difference in outcome between these different types of customers. And we realized it all came down to the behaviors of a few key individuals within an organization. And there are five things you can do in Yapster. You can broadcast, i.e. post to the whole company on a sort of Instagram-style newsfeed. You can comment. That means you can literally comment on other people's posts. You can react. That means just tap, tap in a heart or an applause or a thumbs up or whatever. You can send a group message. So you can message a whole site, for example, like you would create a WhatsApp group. Or you can message an individual also like you might on WhatsApp without knowing their personal number because all of the directory data comes through from the underlying HR system. So there are five things you can do in Yapster. A great social leader 
will use all of those tools to influence his or her workforce on a basis much more inclusive and broad than would ever be possible just touring the country, doing site visits and meeting 5% of the workforce each time you pop up to do your sort of, you know, monarch um, visit from the monarchy. And so Claire came up with something we call a, an influence score. We tease her and call it the Makota Index. It's basically a single number. We call it a social leaderboard that gives a numerical value to the level of influence a leader has in their organization based on how digitally visible they are as a percentage of their total workforce. And that is social leadership as we define it. And like marketing, modern marketing, social leadership, because it's practiced digitally, leaves a data footprint, which means it's entirely measurable, which means you can understand it and improve it. If you don't mind, I'll just carry on just for a minute because I think this is super exciting. So we looked at this social leadership thing. We think, oh my God, like the leadership game has changed. It's all become like data oriented, just like marketing. This is this is game changing. And we started talking to the customers that were doing it naturally. And they were like, okay, cool, bro. I'm not sure why you need to give it a label, but fine. And we talked to the customers that weren't doing it. And they're like, I don't get it. I don't want to post videos of myself. That just seems nonsensical. Who wants to hear a trading update from me? And I'm thinking in a global recession when no, no one knows if their business is solvent yet, um, everyone wants the trading update from you. But okay, whatever. Wasn't for everybody. And so we started looking into the history of leadership. And what we realized is when you look all the way back through history from like the ancient Greeks and commanders of armies through the age of um, print media, through the age of radio, um, embodied by that famous film, The King's Speech, through to color television, where you get President Ronald Reagan, the first movie star president that randomly gets elected, seemingly randomly to be leader of the free world, all the way through to what's happened in modern democratic politics since the advent of the smartphone, Trump, Boris, Obama, less controversially before that, getting elected arguably on Facebook ads. Each time through history, the principal technology that underpins communication changes, the dominant type of leader for that era tends to change as well. And so social leadership is just the latest epoch in the overarching history of leadership informed by tech changes. And we're like, okay, this makes sense now. Every time communication technology changes, new leaders emerge that use that technology in an aggressive, intelligent way, an inspiring way. They then sweep away their rivals from the prior era that are trapped only using the techniques of the, of the last chapter. So it's a dynamic, competitive economy. Social leadership is a thing. Smartphones aren't going away. Modern leadership can be analyzed and improved. Not everybody's going to get that. But those that don't, over time, will probably disappear. And all that will be left in five years' time are social leaders because it's not credible to say it's a competitive strategy to not speak to your frontline workforce. That's like saying I can win an election by not issuing pamphlets or going on the news or telling my story on Twitter. Not possible. You won't get elected. You can take a moral stand and stand for election and then not do any political advertising, but you will not get elected because you will not, you will not influence enough people to win the election. The very same thing goes for operational leadership. Um, you will not be able to outcompete a rival, all other things being equal, if they're leading all of their people and you're not leading yours. There's a bit preachy, but like we feel really strongly about it. 
think there's two things I'm thinking about as you're saying that. It's like uh, I call it agile. It is the best word. It's also called teal. It's called self-managed organization. Actually, the the need for it's not it's not the need for there's a need for leading people, but in a very different way. It's almost to create leaders and business people, and you can only do that by communicating. As you said, you can't drive around to meet them all. If you have to be, you know, I know there's more than one leader in an organization often, but it's about velocity. You know, it's about the speed you can reach people as well and actually get the right message out and it's quite funny even back in 2000 what is it we're talking at 2010 uh we got a new ceo in mcdonald's in denmark and he was very uh, insistent that i think it was a was it a bi-monthly or monthly i can't remember but he made a video and sent out and you know everybody said nobody's going to watch this they want you to go on a stage he said i don't care we're going to do this and what we learned, because, of course, we measured it, because we're McDonald's, we put initiatives in a way, we see actually people can remember more for that video he sent out. And it was just by email at that point and reached, you know, not the whole organization, but the franchisees could remember more about what the plan for the next quarter was than they could if we had done, uh, you know, a physical event. And that was super interesting because there's two elements in in an event, face-to-face events. It's built relationship. We can still do those events, but actually the most important for these events in many ways was like a trading update, as you said. And actually, you know, it was not the only thing, but that thing I believe started actually for people to understand what our strategy was because you could repeat it. As I mentioned on last uh, video, we have, this is our top plan well one page of plan these are the area we are focusing on this is how well we're done we have moved from one to two in this this is great we're struggling a bit here i think you should go out and talk with your staff about blah 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 um and yeah so, so i totally agree with you and that i just want to say and then again that's philocracy again you know how quickly you're going to get your message out and how many times can it be repeated again and again and again because i think david hyatt is one of the best brand marketeers from hyatt jeans and he talks about you you have to repeat your message as your leader so many times you get bored about it and because then you want to stop and say something new you just continues and actually you know technology can take over because you don't have to repeat it yourself you just done it once and it keeps on going around from one hand to the other um so i thought that was really interesting then I talk about agile when i mean by agile is that i think you in, in also talk about and we talked about it a lot where i'm very focusing on that the world has moved so fast technology has moved us but the way we run our organizations and the way we you know do leadership and i'm very black and white here that's not the case everywhere every everybody is somewhere different but still we majority of the way we operate and do things in business not only in hospitality is a top-down leadership control teller control and command you know tailorism we are not in that area where we actually involve people in solving the problems the people that's closest to the problem the employee give them actually autonomy as uh, daniel pink talks about autonomy purpose and uh, what is the last thing i can't remember right now but when you get that right you know you you get a totally different competitive edge than the new competitors and it's a journey as you said so yeah so that, that was what i was thinking as you were talking about that and uh, I, I agree with you but it's, it's for me it's also about speed when you use technology more than anything it's it's so true um i mean one of the things i think is really interesting about leading and communicating now is that if you're doing it well it will also expose some problems in your organization. Like if you've hired the wrong people, if you've got the wrong people on the bus because you were not that clear about your values and vision to begin with, and then you begin articulating values and a vision that they either don't want to or can't live up to, 
you're going to have a collision. Either you're going to sacrifice your vision and values, or you're going to have to reconfigure the the seats on the bus. You're going to have to change the change the people. And so it's really interesting because you're right. Like that sort of agil- agility, it goes it goes two ways. But it all starts with clarity, you know. And you can deliver that clarity quickly, and you can do it with kindness and authenticity. But you ultimately have to do it. And then um, and then you're right. It's about empowering people and letting them. Um, but it's not letting them do whatever they want. It's about le- it's about letting them make the right decisions within the cultural strategic framework that you've set. And if they don't want to operate within that framework, then that's cool. Just go work somewhere else. It's so interesting because the the best organizations we all know them on top of our mind, in a way have an ability because they're so clear on these expectations. They are so clear on their their purpose, their mission, vision, their, 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 their principles or values, whatever they call them, which then binds into how they do things, which then create that culture. So they will recruit people that has their values and they will test for that. They would not care about anything else. And, you know, there's been lots of talk about, you know, companies like Lego or Amazon, you know, and they say Amazon is quite a top-down. I actually looked into the reasons. They're very, you know... They, they, they structured in pots in a way, and they are really the recruitment process, I was told by somewhere from the inside, is really focusing on leadership values. There are 12 leadership values, and they just test you again and again and again against that. Or ask people you work with, how would this person you know, you know, know, behave in this kind of thing? Because they are so clear about if they get that right fit for their organization on board, they will buy into their vision, mission, and their leadership principles, it will be much easier to get the other stuff done. It's so true. Well, like, so um, Herb, can't remember his surname, but famously the founder of Southwest Airlines. Um, the, Herb Keller. Yes. So he was fabulous. I, I heard something by him not too long ago. And um, of course, he famously had no rule book, right? Like, just do the right thing. Hated, he was a lawyer by background, actually, but hated bureaucracy and hated clipping people's wings. What lots of people don't know about Herb Keller is he was absolutely ruthless about interviewing. So they would they would actually ask, they would fly people across the country to interviews on Southwest Airlines. Anybody that worked for Southwest Airlines at any point on that journey could phone head office and say, Michael's just passed through and actually was not very friendly to, to me when checked in or like, you know, was rude to the person serving the coffee or whatever. And that would that would be enough for that person to not get the job. And then also they do fun, quirky things like someone would be in a waiting room waiting for an interview and they'd have one of their loyal people sat amongst the candidates before the interviews to just see how the um, how those people naturally treated their rivals, peers, the other employees in the organisation, just people that were around when they weren't being watched because they were looking for this essential kindness and joy that was the essence of the Southwest strategy and culture. And, um, and if you didn't have that, you didn't work there and consequently didn't need many rules. <laughs> no, I think they had about five rules uh, of uh, principles they operated on and everything was actually a news day. It was ingrained and he was, he was involved in that herb. Like every day, that was his job. He said, my job is not coming up in a new strategy. We have a strategy. We know what our positioning is. We have thought it through. We know our business model. We just have to get 1% better every day. And we only do that by practicing our five or six or seven principles. I can't remember them. And he said, I think one of the, uh, he, one of the, the quotes he's known for is that we have a strategic plan here that's called gets things done. You know, <laughs> So he was fo- less focusing on 
thinking big plans, but actually being out there and involving that, you know, they, it's just, you call it expectation. What, what that comes after, you know, having a clear vision, mission and principles, my exactly understanding your, your company's flywheel, as Jim Collins talk about what actually drives the engine of your business, getting to that as quick as possible, so, because that's what you're scaling then. That's your story. That's what really makes you remarkable. And don't change strategic direction all the time. Just deliver that better and better and better every day. And that's what Southwest Airlines, if you've ever been on their plane, you will understand that incredible at, uh, you know, first of all, making the shift from when they land in the airport to go up again goes very fast operationally. But the experience is, you know, every time, never. I've been on it a couple of times, three times, I think. And it's, uh, you know, the first time I went because I just wanted to go on Southwest Airlines. The other times I had a recent traveler, but of course I choose Southwest Airlines because I could go with them because it's just incredible. You know, there's always something happening you don't expect from, from the... That is leadership. And ultimately that's about clarity of vision and communication. I'm not clever enough to do it, but if, well, if I come back in my next business life, I, you know, I'd love to do something around strategy because it really, as a communications platform, I feel really beholden to it. Like actually our marketing strategy is now is to reach out to brands that we admire and we do free trials, like really generous free trials, like a hundred users for free, no time limit, no setup, nothing. And the reason that is we want the customers to interview us. And frankly, we want to interview them too, because life's too short. to. If you're in the leadership game, life's too short to work for leaders that you don't believe in. That's what, uh, you know, we were talking, and this, this is a bit of a, maybe we're diverting the conversation, uh, Rob. Uh, there's this, uh, there's uh, this big thing going on right now in the industry talking about staff shortages. And uh, yes, there's a labor problem, but there's also probably also, we also have a leadership problem when we have that problem, no matter, you know, and I know the pandemic has been hard, but we also, we this is also the time that we all, everybody looks in the mirror and actually start looking at what, what where are the gaps compared to that, what other, you know, industries are doing that's attracted these people. Well, why is it that besides we have a labor problem with the Brexit and so on that we ended up in this challenge? Is there actually something we can do? And I believe if we change the way we, we think organizational muscle and leadership and we start practicing that, as you said, then actually we will see over long term that this is not going to be the challenge to attract great people because they will they will actually come because they want to be part of the organization. It has nothing to do with specific industries or anything. It's something to do with being part of that, you know, cultural experience. i just say one thing, because I, I think it actually brings us back to, to the, the sort of spine of the conversation because um, leaders tend to be naturally charismatic, even people that are not good social leaders, right? So they're good in a room, but they're not very good digitally. The problem with being charismatic in the room is that you light up every room you walk into, right? So you don't really experience the darkness and the coldness of the rooms that you're not in in your organization. Everything's sunshine and rainbows to you. The reason data is so important in social leadership is um, it shines a light on the rooms that you're not in, right? So just because you are saying what you're saying to the people you're saying it to doesn't mean it's having any impact whatsoever on anybody that's not within immediate earshot. Does that make sense? And so what you need to do as a leader is you need to understand how many people, how many stakeholders do I have and what percentage of that stakeholder base am I influencing at any given one time to drive my mission or my key lieutenants influencing in the way I would like them to. And in order to deliver your vision Southwest style, you have to understand that. You have to be confronted with the brutal realities of the KPIs and the data that shows you your influence levels. And I think in hospitality in particular, but retail too, a lot of leaders are 
frustrated that they light up every room they walk into. They care desperately. And yet they're not running a business that's as beloved as Southwest Airlines and they don't know why. And the reason is they're only moving the needle on one or 2% of the people that represent their stakeholder base. They're just not, they're basically screaming in the wind. And that, I guess, is the essence of what we're trying to change with social leadership and bringing analytics to leaders so that they can actually understand their reach. Yeah, and it's so interesting what you're saying there because I actually agree with you. There's a lot of people that can go into a room and really change the game within seconds, just their presence because they they have this, they care, as you say. And actually, we're really interesting. Um, uh, and a mentor of mine some years ago when you know I was in you know a challenge I didn't have uh, something called Yapster when I was running you know a 27 unit chain, and uh, he said to me, Michael. How do you scale your present and the story when you're not in a room? That was his question. And I didn't get it first where he talked about, yeah, but well, and he said exactly what he said. When you come into the room, Michael, things happen. You get them together. You you build the bridges again. You 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 leave and they're energized. I will give it three hours, they're back in the hole again. And how and so actually we went on that journey actually trying to create assets. So we created assets that was on the wall, telling that we created something called the wheel from the the Jim Collins book, Good to Great, on the the wheels on the bus, you know, and that was our values, and it was like a wheel you could turn. So anybody could talk about the values that are really clearly but again and, and that's what your job is uh, as, as definitely as the top leader, the CEO, is to make sure how do you scale the story and the influence uh, when you're not in the room, or how do you make other become mini versions of you without sounding like we are trying to duplicate <laughs> the same kind of behavior. But in principle, that's what the, the job is. So I think that's a really, really good point there. But what about if we take all this, uh, Rob, into the context of today? And we, we have to acknowledge there's a pandemic. It's bloody hard. Nobody been here before. Uh, it's easy always to hold up the, the perfect algorithm, say, follow this and you have a great business. But what is actually the role of a leader right now? Because I guess you can't be perfect in any kind of way right now. You just have to accept that these unprecedented times and, you know, the hospitality industry is just reopening again. But what what have you learned uh, from looking at the data? Maybe we can take it that angle and say, what do you think that the leader's role are and what is the best practice you've seen in that? So so we define the job of a leader is to, to align and inspire. So you align people around the strategy and you then inspire people to care about your strategy and your organization. The leader's role at the moment is multifaceted. If you've got the right people on the bus and you've got the right strategy, then it's a straightforward align and inspire job. Okay, like stay the course, I'm there, troubleshoot, be, a, be present. A lot of organizations, though, have had structural um, uh problems revealed by the last year so i mentioned earlier they might have the wrong people um they might have the wrong strategy either it might have already been the wrong strategy before the crisis or it might have become the wrong strategy because of changes in consumer behavior for example and so now they've got this almost like this sort of um this wobbly three-legged stool that they're having to balance on i mean look it's a hard job nobody said being a leader was easy at any level So it means that they've got to look at consumer behaviors and say, okay, what's the right strategy for my capital structure and the business model that I've got and what my goals are? And then who are the right people to deliver that strategy for me? And then, okay, right, I've got the right strategy and the right people. Um, How do I align and inspire them to, to execute the plan? And those three things work in concert. And so it's all of those things. Um, There's a guy called Scotty Mills, who if you haven't interviewed, I would strongly recommend that you do. But I I met him actually at an industry conference conference about 18 months ago, pre-COVID. And um, 
Scotty was uh, he he was the leader of six thousand Royal Marines um, for years. He was if you're into football, he was Gareth Southgate's secret weapon. The press called him. He was a sort of culture and a leadership coach that the England football team brought in to try and overcome the um, the stage fright that they famously got in every major tournament. And I called Scotty when we first went into the crisis, and I said to him, I you know, I, I'm fascinated by leadership. I'm a student of leadership and I'm running this business, but it's my first time and I'm, we're now going through this hurricane. And not only am I scared, all of my customers are scared and I'm running a communications platform. So they're using my technology or our technology at Yapster, but I'm, I'm responsible for it in the eyes of the customers and the investors. Can you please teach me about crisis communications? I mean, it's such a dopey thing to say to someone. Can you, you know, can a 30-year Royal Marines veteran, can you teach me crisis communications in seven minutes i mean never have i sounded more of a millennial but anyway i um he generously and charitably and good humoredly did and super interesting because i wanted to talk to him about tips for communication and he didn't lose his temper with me but he kept trying to stop me and saying so rob talk to me about culture and people and i'm like yeah scotty fine but like can you just tell me how you communicate your way through war because i'm like I'm panicking. This is a year ago. I'm panicking about this COVID thing and the impact on the customer segments. But you've lived through wars. You've disembarked ships and gone to war in extreme uncertainty. And the Marines have been around for 300 years. So like, you've clearly survived that both individually and organizationally. So you must, it must be possible to survive and thrive in chaos. How does one do it? Because me and all of my customers are going through it often for the first time right now. We, we want to know. And it's funny, like he, he spent almost no time talking about what you actually say in a time of crisis and everything on why you're saying it and who you're saying it to. Because <laughs> it turns out that like using your voice, the physical act of communication or typing a messaging into a messaging system is not complicated. Infants can do that. So the leadership is all about the vision and the, and the, and the, the why are we on this team together and so i think that's timeless advice right like you asked me so what's the job of a leader right now it's that that sort of you know my clumsy metaphor and the three-legged stool and then referring to scotty it's 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 those things and it's not going to get any easier for people because it, it's you know it's it's a hard it's a hard gig and covid's just going to continue to expose that in benign markets you know what is it like everybody looks like a good captain in sort of calm seas but, you know, you get paid your money when you're in a storm. <laughs> so, so we're going to see some really great leaders emerge and we're going to see plenty hit the rocks. And it's very interesting because um, lots of people uh, talked about, you know, they, they discussed agility, but a couple of CEOs and many of the thing is about doing things fast and adapting. Said, so, yes, that's the that's that's part of it. Uh, uh, agility or social leadership or whatever framework but it's also actually you know sometime understand you should be shooting silver bullets not cannonball so actually stay longer with the strategic idea to try to identify and make maybe small tests and tryouts what works and doesn't work it comes from communication leadership practices operational things don't just dump knee-jerk reaction and start like because you can't work yourself out of this as i said to people because because i'm i'm tired now so if you keep on working like this you'll definitely burn out yourself and your team because you're a shadow of your, your team is a shadow of you, the, the leader shadow, as I normally call it. So I think there's a lot about actually also stopping up and actually reassessing what is the message we're going out with and, and why are we doing it and what, how does it fit to the future? 
everyone wants a framework. Everybody wants a blueprint that's going to just give you success in life. You know, how to find a guy or girl in 10 days, how to, you know, how to have a happy life, how to be, you know, skinny and how to be a great leader. And it's like, we all want these frameworks, but you know, that's just going to do the whole thing for us. But you're right. It's, it's a, there's no silver bullets, a bunch of lead bullets. There's no, there's no answer. You know, having a great relationship at work or at home is a series of small choices every day. Um, it's a lot of sort of micro efforts under the banner of some sort of overarching sort of vision for, you know, why you're compatible as colleagues or as whatever. Um, and then it's just about being present and attentive to it. And like, so you're like a gardener, right? Like building an organization is like tending to, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you're of the same age as me that you would, you would have grown up affectionately with the karate kid, but Mr. Miyogi and the bonsai, you know, you're tending to it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he also says it's all about balance. So, so, so with that in mind, uh, Rob, uh, what is the, you know, we talked about the role of the leader and we, uh, what is the, the, the biggest challenge now? I think we may, maybe already touched on it inside organizations right now. What are they right now from the data you look at? You know, of course, it's important to communicate, have a strategy, know your vision, mission. But what is the biggest challenge right now for them? It's about receiving the echoes back from the workforce. So let's assume that you've got some clarity on what your strategy is and you've put in place technologies and habits to communicate. Um, we're in a massively um, volatile market, right? Things are going to change. There's always great opportunities when things are changing. But um, you shouldn't assume that your blueprint, your master top-down playbook is going to um, survive contact with um, with the enemy when the plan gets into the market, say, you know, as the economy fully reopens so the great challenge for leaders is to to have conviction in their plans and their vision and articulate it clearly and confidently and persistently but also be accessible and open to the idea that new facts are going to emerge and then how do you change the plan without losing the team um you know we talk about you know there's lots of uh, lead bullets no silver bullets so it's just going to be this like echo back from what you're getting from customers what you're getting from colleagues feed that back into your strategy and your plan Recommunicate that to the organization and see if it lands more effectively as as your business finds its feet in a changing landscape again. And it's just that constant sort of virtuous, hopefully virtuous rather than destructive cycle of consistent, persistent, agile innovation. It's, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. It's hard to come up with a good strategy in the first place. But I think it's even harder to come up with a great strategy and then throw it away when it turns out that it's not quite right. Yeah, and I guess also it's about the ability to listen as well, uh, which you can do to the, the apps, the platform as well. You you can listen to what's going on in the organization as well as you can listen to your market. And we often forget that as leaders, as when, especially when crisis hit, we think we actually need to be reacting all the time, but actually we need to listen more and actually get you know the right picture of the things before we react. And I think that's 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 the, one of the things I've you know I've even picked myself up on. And I can talk about this, but sometimes you just get in the doing mode instead of actually stopping up and say, actually, we need just to listen now. What's going on inside yourself in the organization? What teams are saying to you? Customers are saying to you? What is it that you need to do? And actually, that's that's you know, technology can help you listening faster as well and getting more insights quicker than ever. If you give it the attention. Totally, Mike. I completely agree. I mean, so we're, we're just introducing a new module at the moment. We call it EPOS KPI Gamification. And um, and it's all about, so operators obviously are all um, rightly obsessed with driving sales, but now more, never more so than ever. 
very difficult to motivate frontline colleagues to care about your your business plan and whether you want to upsell olives or desserts or coffees or specials or some particular wine or gin or whatever. So Yapster connects to the EPOS data and it it creates site level chats where it puts two different sites in and then basically creates a match and a league or a knockout cup where we um, the teams tease each other and compete to outperform on a given KPI like upsells, for example. Well, you could do that really badly. If you impose a game or an upsell of something that customers don't love and colleagues aren't passionate about, it could actually be brand damaging because you're going to be pushing inauthentically, artificially pushing something that the teams don't believe in and the customers don't want. But if you do it well and you engage with the teams and you say, what, what special, what side do you love? Do a poll, for example, and you find out. Then actually what you can do is you can run games within Yapster where you're offering the, the hopefully high margin, but products that the team genuinely love. So now when they're talking to customers about whether they want to try this particularly special sort of bottle of wine or this particular dessert, it's going to come across as being real brand advocates. Right. And that's a great example of where as a leader, you set the vision. We need to increase average, average transaction value. But the expression of the strategy, you let the team inform you so that you make the right decisions. And this is this feedback loop that we're talking about. And so it's a, it's a juggling act, but that's what we're constantly trying to do. We're like, okay, operators, you're our customers. We need to help you drive sales. How do we do that in a way that's authentic to your brand, respectful to your team, and creates a two-way conversation, a loop of innovation that both drives your business objectives but makes it fun and, you know, and, and respectable for the, for the frontline colleagues that are on the receiving end of implementing your strategy? It's a really great way of actually involving you know, your frontline employee in developing sales without knowing actually they're doing it because they're playing a game in principle. They don't see it as go and build sales. That's not the, the game. The game is have, a, have fun with your, with your colleagues and then you will actually start creating some results we didn't have expected. We will probably get closer to the business plan than if we were just telling you what, what the, the targets and goals is that you need to achieve every day. Totally. I mean, I'm really excited about it. I'm excited about doing it with all of our customers, but I'm particularly excited with the brewers because introducing new brews to customers is actually quite a difficult challenge. You know, people go into, uh, into pubs and pick their favorite drinks and they just do that as a default. But introducing somebody to a new drink that you genuinely like, that you genuinely know it has some really cool like background story about some special craft brewer or some new technique that's yielded this particular drink, and educating customers on it in such a way that it drives volumes and broadens the customer's palates, makes them more likely to come back because they're getting a richer, more diverse experience from your brand. I think it's really cool. That's virtuous, right? That's a win-win. Yeah, really, really cool. What about you, Rob? CEO, leader yourself, uh, what, what, what has been your biggest learning? Now we, we're telling everybody else what to do. Let's, uh, let's just spotlight over on you. What is like your, your biggest leadership lessons? Uh, and I guess social leadership is influenced by that as well. Yeah, I mean, everything we've talked about today, we had to restructure at the beginning of COVID because we, we, you know, we had um, a headcount that anticipated a, an uninterrupted growth rate without all of our customers um, being affected by the market. And we shifted to a freemium business model. And so that is the first time I've been through anything like that, right? Like, you know, Yaps is a very close team, both the team that we've got now and, and the, the, the wider team that we had pre, pre-crisis. And I learned a lot about myself going through that. Um, how do you communicate? I mean, I remember telling the team that if we had to make our full payroll for 
for like an undefined period of time while all of our customers were closed. This is remember furlough wasn't announced until like a, maybe within four days of the first lockdown. So every business leader at the time that had a high payroll was like, I, I don't know how I'm going to square this. Like, I, I don't know how I'm going to cope with this because nobody plans for zero, like for revenue or uh, even if your revenue is rolling over, you're expecting some payment delay. And um, I remember having to communicate to the team and saying, I don't know what we're going to do yet. There's murmurs that Rishi Sunak's going to come out with this furlough scheme, which now we all take for granted, but at the time we didn't know. So communicating that and then experiencing, I mean, I was very lucky. We had a small team that was culturally well aligned, full of really good people. Even the people that left Japster have, have picked up amazing jobs, Some, many of them still in the sector because they're such good people. And so actually many of them were coming to me and saying, oh my God, Rob, I'm sure it's going to be fine because we've got a great product that people need. But they were saying sorry to me rather than the other way around. And that affirmed that we had the right culture. People believed in the vision about connecting these organizations through good and bad times. Um, but it was utterly jarring to learn it for real. You know, like I, I feel less of a fraud talking about crisis communications and organizational leadership um, organizational design now than perhaps I would have a year ago, having been through some of those pretty scarring experiences. So for me, it just comes back to the things we talked about. What are you trying to achieve? Who are the right people for you to achieve that with? What are the key messages that you need to deliver to create the framework within which great people will make the right decisions of their own volition every day so that you don't micromanage, which I'm frankly not organized enough to do very well, even if I wanted to. And that's, that's it. It's simple, but I think I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning how to practice it consistently. It's quite funny. The, the, the people actually that, that has been had easiest to adopt, you know, agile leadership or permission to operate or decision power and is actually leaders. Uh, they have a tendency. They, they, they don't want to lead and they're a bit lazy, maybe even with it. So they, from the outset, do the work to actually making sure that people can make their own decision because they can't take all those meetings. I, I interviewed a founder the other day and it was very clear how he set up the organization day one. It was not because he had like this, you know, big vision about, you know, the greatest workplace in the, in, in the world. And it's a great place to work now, but he just didn't want to be interrupted all the time. He just wants to sit and do his things. So he set it up for like that from the outset. It's interesting you're saying that as well. Great software engineers are the same. My co-founder never wants to do the same piece of work twice. So cons consequently automates everything that he can. I mean, it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we can definitely learn something for that as well as leaders instead of just run away from something. But don't run away before you really fix the problem and got to the bottom of it. Um, that's something I'd taken on board because I like to move fast before now I probably, I don't know if it's the age, maybe I'll move a bit slower as well. But I also think I'm more mindful about actually solving the problems before I move on because you just leave more problems behind you that comes back to you. Um, who are the, in, 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 on this journey, Rob, as you and uh, Yapster, who has been the most, you know, truly influential people? It could be people that you read books about. It could also be people close to you. And why have they influenced you? Oh, um, so we have a reading list of people when they join Yapster. So I just tell you some of the, some of the books and the leaders behind those books. So there's a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, a famous book around organizational health. That's all about um, strategic alignment, cultural alignment. Um, that's an amazing book. and I've learned a lot, a lot from that. Obviously, don't know the author. There's a book called Taking People With You by David Novak, the, um, the YUM CEO for chairman for, for years. And that's a fascinating book as well, which ties into he's very big on recognition. But some of the ideas in social leadership are sort of underpinned by that. Um, 
Then there's there's a couple of books that that your listeners may not have heard of before because they're more from the tech world. But I actually think they have a huge amount of relevance to what we've talked about today for operational leaders as well. So they're worth looking into. So there's a book called The Great CEO Within. Sounds a bit of a douchey title, but it's actually really cool by a guy called Matt Mockery, which is for technical founders of, of technology companies that have to become leaders, operational leaders. So it's not just about being inspirational. It's about how do you make the trains run on time and run an effective organization if you've never actually, if you didn't get brought up in Mars or Unilever um, learning their management program. So that's, re- that's been really instructive for me. And then there's a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by a guy called Ben Horowitz, who's a famous um, American tech investor. And he, that book is all about how so many books written by management consultants um, make everything sound sort of simple like you know if you follow this playbook you will be able to lead an effective organization and ben horowitz just disabuses you of that notion he just says everything that can go wrong probably will go wrong you will make catastrophic cock-ups on your in your um, quest to build something and lead an organization and um i'm going to tell you how i survived a million near-death experiences and cock-ups and hopefully you'll glean some useful learnings from that i've read that book 20 times maybe more actually because it's and, and just just because when you're going through the struggle at times like you know global pandemic, it, it's healthy to be able to understand what other um, what others have been through on their path to success, right? Because we all read about success, we get survivor bias. People do podcasts when they're fabulously successful and they talk about those hard times, and then they immediately flip on to how it all turned around eventually. But sometimes those hard times lasted one, two, five, ten years of struggle before they got to the sunny uplands. And so that book I find really inspiring. And I think for our sector friends, listeners that are listening to this, that have never really, there won't probably won't be lots of sector leaders that will talk about existential struggle in the same way. Um, so it might be wise actually for some of them to look into some of those tech companies that have, you know, guaranteed death baked into their DNA as, loss, as initially loss-making companies to... Um, yeah, just to draw some comfort and some learning from. Yeah, because there's much more parallels to how tech companies actually, you know, from the, the, the journey they go on, uh, they're very comparable for like from restaurant companies, you know, when they start out and in, in many, many, many kind of ways, I believe as well. And uh, uh, and I'll, I'll be very surprised if they agree. I love that book as well. I, I haven't read it 20 times, but I probably read it three times and uh uh, and I'm definitely going to go back now and listening to the audiobook again because it's about also. I think I at some point in my journey I understood that you actually needed pain to uh, to move and actually become the person you want to be. And when you and and when you actually solve a problem, you just get a better problem to solve. And, and that's just part of it. And there needs to be that pain as well. And you need to find you know uh, we the balance with that as well. And actually understand it's okay. There's pain. It's part of it. It's part of the journey. And you don't. It doesn't need. To, there's never going to be a day where you stand and thought or think as a leader you sold everything. There's always going to be pain. You just need to have to, to to see that as the fuel and the positivity in life. And uh, I'm not trying to be a guru about it, but actually when I mean, you can start viewing it like that and actually, you know, see that other people has, when you read that book, you you get a, a insight into where he's almost taking, his, he's almost killing himself on the job in principle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and I think there's a lot of people that has been very close to that. If they're not already close to it now, we all, we all been on that edge, haven't we? At some point, there's been times the last 
18 12, 14 months where i've been thinking what the hell is this all about you know what what's happening with my identity what about all the things i've done uh, what i'm going to be doing in the future all those kind of things and i think it's a I think actually, you know, as leaders, we also have to acknowledge that's the, the, the hard things. That's where we really grow as well. But we have to we have to talk more about them because that's where the real learning is. It's not in talking about successes, but exactly the, the how you overcome these these difficult points, as you say. Totally agree. Um, what about uh, how do you see uh, you know the prediction for for hospitality? We 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 are circle around hospitality. What's going to happen the next eighteen to twenty four months? We are we reopening next week on the seventeenth of May uh, for indoor dining. It feels like then that's where we really switch on again. But we just started a new journey. I would say that's like it's not like the, the industry is saved or anything, and we are we are done with hard times. But we we're taking it to a new phase. I would say. I agree. I mean, I think it's really looking, trying to be somewhat independent, just looking holistically at the industry rather than those of us that are existing stakeholders from the prior era. Let's assume they're two eras. Leisure time's going to go up, right? I don't believe we're going to move to a full, like, sort of driverless, workless society, but we're definitely moving in the direction of greater efficiencies through technologies across society, which is going to increase leisure time, not, not reduce it. As a hospitality sector, we're going to be net beneficiaries of the increase in in leisure time and the the sort of the wealth of society. And so um, the demand for experiences and services is going to continue to go up to correspondingly with the increase in leisure time, right? There is only so much time you can spend watching Netflix, right? And so um, that's really exciting. I mean, and who are going to be the winners against this backdrop? Like, who knows? I mean, you've got all the way through economic history, you have remarkable stories of turnarounds and transformations where businesses reinvent themselves and they become relevant in a new era. Then you have the sort of creative destruction of businesses disappearing and new opportunities emerging. So my my overarching view is leisure times going up and therefore there is plenty of growth ahead of the sector. I mean, ignoring even the sort of throthy rebound that we're inevitably going to see. I mean, long-term structurally, leisure times going up, therefore opportunities to create wonderful experiences and extract value from the consumer economy is going to go up too. who are going to be the winners in that like who knows i mean that's what makes it so exciting right like it's going to be as you always say those that have got crisp idea of their vision and then are agile enough to tweak it so that it becomes the perfect fit for the new consumer appetite and economic backdrop um the cool thing is i don't think it's preordained actually like i, I buy into everything you say and um you start with a strategy, but where you end up is somewhere completely different based on your culture and your agility, right? It's the old Mike Tyson quote, that everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And um, punches is about to start, you know, the economy is going to start throwing even more and different punches now. And we'll see who figures it out the fastest and grows off the, off the back of the whatever secret they discover. Um, my hope for Yapster is that we're just working for those leaders that are going to be the ones that seize the opportunity i mean as a, as somebody in the in the sector supply chain that's really all you can hope for right you want to work for the visionaries of today that are going to be the dominant players of tomorrow yeah i think it was uh, jim collins said a very very smart it's not it's not uh it's not uh where you're going to go it's uh who you're going to go there with and uh so it's again you know surrounding yourself with the right people and thereby also when the right people come together you created the right culture because that's where it comes from and then you will solve whatever problems that comes ahead of you 
Um, and then you can go in and if, if you haven't read Good to Great, go and look at these companies and see how they continue to just improve no matter what hits them. If it's a pandemic, if it's a financial crisis, I'm sure even Southwest Airlines, I will be very surprised if they don't come back stronger from the pandemic. Um, I actually don't know where they are, but I could imagine they come back as one of the most profitable airlines very quickly again, just because they will take care of things in a different way. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And we've talked a lot about leadership um, over the last sort of hour or so, but like the... Um... Uh, people that are listening that don't see themselves in leadership roles, like what I would say is that um, vote with your feet, you know, like if you're working in an organization for somebody that doesn't inspire you or in an organization that you don't think is fit for the future, move, like go find somebody that inspires you, go find an organization where you believe in the vision, where you're going to be listened to and respected and go be successful, right? Like the, the, the macroeconomic picture means there will be winners. Leisure time is going up. The market's bouncing back. The only reason you'll lose is if you're working in a dysfunctional organization or for a dysfunctional person, and life's too short for that. So I know it doesn't get said very often, but I think it's really important. I think it's really important if you're going to talk about leadership and fulfilled lives and success, a lot of that comes down to being on the right bus. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I think often people think that I'm not good enough. That's a that's the problem, and actually, and I think that's the where the why the reason why they don't move. So it's just a lot of it comes down to that. But I think we have a whole new, you know, we can rewrite the rule book, and that's what I'm excited about in in the future. I think it's been absolutely dreadful. I would never ever wanted to go through something like this again. But also hope it had made us everybody calibrate and come back and actually say okay there's a new playbook and i actually can rewrite this as a leader both from an industry point of view for my company how i i do things and you can actually get tweak it in in things because it we probably we all probably needed a bit of a wake-up call uh but not 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 in this dimension but we all probably just needed to think oh wow okay well something needs to change in a way but that, that leads me to to one of the last questions rob as well uh, because we need to take it to an end because we can continue uh, i know that from other conversation but what is uh how do you actually again because i wanted to ask you that before but uh, i forgot to ask you this question i think it's so essential for how do you show up pro because you told that you've been through difficult times and i actually you know as the leader you need to you know, take care of yourself first before you can take care of others. What do you do actually to be in that balance? I mean, so this is a personal question. So everybody's got their own thing, right? What centers them. So for me, it's about family. You'd never know it listening to how much I swear and the way I talk, I go to church with my wife. Like I, um, for me, like, I think it's really important to, um, it's, it's, it's important to be authentic to what you're, doing right because when times are hard in business or in life it seems to me you have to have some sort of north star and it doesn't really matter what that north star is but you have to have a north star that you're going to keep rowing towards and you get knocked out your boat and guess what you're going to swim towards it like you know it's just otherwise you're just what are you you just you know you're at sea in the dark with no direction and like nobody wants to keep paddling when it feels aimless Right. And so, so for me, that's about, um, and after my, after my family, it's about adventure, you know, like I left being a lawyer to start a business because I, I didn't find it exciting. I wanted to be, I wanted to be excited. Now, of course, the flip side of being excited is sometimes being scared witless and stressed out of your mind. 
but I'm never bored. And I joke with my colleagues sometimes that it's better to be um, stressed than bored. And uh, at least in my, my worldview. So, so that's largely it. And then when I feel low, I just have to reconnect with that and be like, okay, this is tough, but like, is, do I genuinely believe as a worldview that it's better to be stressed than bored? Yes, I do believe that as a worldview. I can always at any time go do something that's less stressful, but also less interesting. And as long as I remember that, then I feel empowered around that idea. And if I feel empowered around that idea, then I have agency. And if I have agency, then I'm in control of the situation to some extent, even though I am not in control of the universe, which is why I alluded to faith earlier. Like, and that's okay. Right. And so like, so for me, it's about like going, not really controlling the circumstances, but I am controlling the way I think about where I'm going and why. And then like, you know, it's funny, it sounds, sounds crisper when I say it to you, like I struggle with that, like, you know, over the last year in particular, many, many times about asking whether I can really see the North star or just like some shining light of some truck that's about to drive over me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but hopefully, hopefully that helps. I like. It's, I love talking to other people that have been running businesses or going through difficult times over the last year about like what's kept them going and what's helped them sort of find clarity and purpose through adversity. It's been that has been one of the the rare joys of the last year. You've found like some real like humanity amongst your professional contacts. Been easier, definitely, as we got you know halfway into the pandemic. You really saw the real person as well. What you know, what their their struggle was and you know, and, and how they were growing with that. Again, I'm talking, you call it stress. I just call it pain. It's there, <laughs> you know, the same, if you want, you decide to exercise, you will get injured at some point. So you need to deal with that pain to get back up again. And you need to accept that pain is there. And I think that's, again, if you look at it in that way, uh, I think, uh, you know, one of my favorites here of Michael Jordan really used pain to drive him as well, or anger, which if he didn't have an enemy, he will create the enemy to drive him forward. Uh, and he's probably the ext- extreme version of using pain or enemies to dr- motivate him. Uh, and you can watch The Last Dance if you uh, on Netflix, then you totally get what I'm talking about and Michael Jordan. But what about uh, what the last question, Rob? Before we ra- wrap things up, uh, what would be your three top th- advice to to leaders out there? Be authentic, which is easier to say than to do. In order to be authentic, you have to have put yourself in a position that you actually believe in. And I think a lot of people prioritize their paycheck over their purpose. And if you've done that, then you can't be authentic. It's literally impossible because you're, you're acting a role. Um, now, maybe I'm very privileged in that I've been able to, to start a business that has got off the ground, you know, to, to a sufficient extent that I'm now able to express myself in, in, in work. Um, and I do I take that challenge seriously. But I think um, to be a truly effective leader, and that can be running your local football or netball team, it doesn't have to be running a business. I think you do have to be authentic. Because actually, because you can't know everything, you can't know how you're going to react in advance. You have to react authentically and do your best in the given situation. And to be authentic, you you need to have picked a mission that lines up with who you are. So that advice is easier to take when you're younger than when you're later in your career, because you've got so many sunk costs in getting to where you are. And I think that's why you see a lot of unhappiness in seemingly successful people, particularly career people. Um, So if you're in a position... Maybe the decision has been forced upon you by the crisis, been made redundant or whatever. Try and pick something where you're going to be able to act authentically and you'll be more successful and more fulfilled doing it. So that's number one. 
Number two and three are just the same. If you pick something that you authentically believe in and you think you've got God-given gifts to succeed in, number two is don't give up. And number three is don't give up. Keep on, keep on hating it. Persistence. Keep swimming. Keep, yeah, just keep swimming towards your North Star, wherever that is. Persistence, I often say, and also, you know, uh, consistency. Keep, keep doing your little 1% every day and you will get that closer. I think you get 40 times better in a year if you improve yourself 1%. On a scale or whatever it is you want to improve yourself, it's a, a, a atomic habits. I think that has that model about. Yeah, I mean, well, if if you're lucky and you're doing something that's authentic to you, the interesting thing is, not giving up is not necessarily a heroic act. If you're doing something that is authentic to you, when you want to give up swimming, there really isn't any other direction to swim in anyway, right? If you picture this metaphor in this massive, vast black ocean and you can see this North Star and you can't see anything else and you're tired of swimming towards the North Star because as much as you swim, you don't seem to get any closer to it. It begs the question, okay, I'm tired of swimming towards this North Star. So where else do I swim? And the truth is there isn't any other direction to go in, but you have to understand what your North Star is in order to be able to summon the will to keep swimming towards it. Does that make sense? That makes sense, Rob. Great advice. And actually, it ties into what we started out with, that when we talk about social leadership, that you really have to have clarity around your your vision, mission, your your principles to actually to to turn to turn the ship around in, in any organization, because that's your expectations of yourself and others. Thank you so much, Rob, for, for spending time with us here today. Uh, where can people uh, find you if they want to, to connect with you after they listen into this? So my email is rob at yapster, Y-A-P-S-T-E-R.co.uk. Um, that's really the best place to grab me on the website. And then that links to, to our various social media presence. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and I follow Twitter. I read Twitter more than I post, but present there as well. Um, but come to our website, send me an email. And if there are any yaps to customers listening, then send me a yap. I'm in the platform. Each customer gives us the privilege of being in there accessible on a support basis. So I love it when um, when people that use yaps to contact me through it and give me some feedback, positive or negative. I'm just grateful to talk to you. Great. Thank you so much, Rob. Uh, power and energy to you and the team as you uh, go into the next phase of uh, whatever we call the new paradigm. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much, Michael. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Rob, for your killer insight on how to become a better leader as well as how to leverage digital tools to scale your influence as a leader. If you want to learn more about how to become better at communicating clearly as a leader, please visit episode 104 with Charlotte Purpose, who is the author of Communication Formula. That will help you definitely to boost influence on your organization. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. Together with Biz Simply, we are actually right now conducting a survey with the aim of collecting best practice on how leaders in the industry are transforming their organization so they can deliver the experience both employees and customers are demanding. Please participate via the link in the show notes. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. Also, a big thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time. 
for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our community and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. Thank you and be maverick.